Tiffany, and you're listening to the Busy Bitch Podcast and Book Club. I'm a 20-something-year-old teacher that takes on way too much, but honestly, couldn't imagine life any other way. During COVID lockdown, I reconnected with my love of reading, but realized I have no one to talk to about these books. I read a bit of everything, so if you have almost no one to discuss books with, love to read, and read a wide variety of books, join me here each and every Well, once again, I feel like I've been off more than I could handle this week with my mother-in-law in town and keeping a puppy. Yeah, if you're keeping score, that brings our grand total up to four dogs. My life was way busy and I didn't get to read as much or as often as I wanted, but I was able to read a bit each day and finish chapter 19. Now, I know you're probably thinking, why didn't you stop at the end of part two? Or even take it slower and read one part a week. And my only answer to that is that I'm a little bit crazy and I hate, absolutely hate, stopping where the author intended for you to stop. They always have some sort of cliffhanger or something and it just makes you want to keep on reading. I don't even normally stop at the end of chapters. I read a few pages into the next chapter. I know. I'm weird. It's just how I am. But I did stop at the end of chapter 19. I stopped just long enough to record this episode. And then I know tonight I'll be up for a while reading again. It's amazing how little sleep I can function on. One of those sleepless nights, I laid in bed reading Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. I was maybe a chapter into it and I put my phone down and turned to my husband. Do you know the author Brandon Sanderson? I honestly can't tell you why I felt this nagging need to ask him, but I did. And his response surprised me. He laughed. He actually laughed at me and said, oh yeah, I've listened to a bunch of his books. In fact, he finished the Wheel of Time series. I was shocked. But it also kind of made sense all at the same time. I think I was more shocked that I knew the name of this author and asked him about it. So, of course, he wanted to know why I was reading one of his books and how I happened across it. This is when having a secret podcast becomes tricky. But thank goodness I was able to tell him the truth. That I googled for new books and this one came highly recommended. Shortly after that combo, he fell asleep. And I kept on reading. So enough of this slightly random story I'm telling you. And let's do this thing. These first 19 chapters had so much in them. And I just know I'm going to leave something out and totally regret it. But oh well. Let's start with this world Sanderson has created. Even in the first couple of chapters, you can tell it's quite expansive. And thoughtfully planned out on his behalf. One of my least favorite parts of getting into a new book is that there's so much to grasp. You have new characters and their names. Seriously, I'm the worst at those. A plethora of new terms. And well, of course, the different locations and their names too. Authors tend to go about this three different ways. One, they throw all the explanations at you so fast you can't retain much of anything and... 
it's a goes in one ear and out the other type of situation. Two, they just don't explain anything and rarely use character names in the writing, so I get a bit confused. And three, they slowly expand the world for you and give you bits and pieces of information as you go. This is what really good authors do, in my opinion. And I think it works for a couple of reasons. I want you to imagine a huge filing cabinet. When you get something new, it can either go into a labeled file or just sort of float around, you know? If it's in a file, you can locate it and use it again later on. But if it's just floating around, well, it gets lost. Our brains function very similarly. If we're learning so much at once and have no file to relate it to, then it gets lost. So giving us little bite-sized pieces of information allows us time to digest it and process it. Plus, when we get info a little at a time, it totally piques our curiosity. We want more. We feel the need to figure it out. And so we keep on reading. But we figure that one thing out, and we have another thing we need to figure out now, and it just continues on and on and on. I don't think I need to say it, but this book definitely fits into category three. From the very beginning, I was so curious about the pits, the mist, and the mistwrath. Also, what in the world is going on with the sun? And why does the sky seem to drop ash relentlessly? Is Kelsier the only renegade? Surely he can't be the only one, right? What the fuck? He's burning tin? Like with fire? Inside himself? Does it hurt? What are these powers that half-breeds might have? Is Kelsier a half-breed too? My imagination was running wild with all the questions that popped into my brain. Even after I put the book down, I continued to wonder and question. So, why don't we start with this mist that comes each and every night? When... I first was reading this, I thought it was some sort of poison in the air. Anyone else watch The Rain, where the rain in the show literally killed you? And it seemed to be a violent death. So I was thinking this mist was, was similar, but it ended up being a, a tale told to keep people inside, to keep them from making trouble at night, I guess. I mean, how powerful is that? To feed these people's fears and exhibit another form of control over society? All right, one of these powers now. They are by far the coolest and probably the most detailed powers I have ever read of. Not because they're especially difficult to understand or anything, but just because you could have done or one or all of them, but not three or four. This knowledge and training seems to be passed down from one misting or mistborn to another. The idea of mistborns feeling each of these materials within and being able to isolate, utilize, and control them separately makes my mind boggle. I feel like it can't be easy. It must be so, so difficult. Not to mention weird feeling, but with practice, they appear to be able to do it flawlessly. I really appreciate that a misting is much better at their one skill 
than a Mistborn would be. I mean, it just makes sense. They only have one to learn, and they specialize in it. Now, there is one thing I am a bit confused by. Kel says that the powers are released when something traumatic causes that person to snap. So these highborn that are mistings or misborn, how do they find their powers? Is traumatic measured differently for each individual? I mean, could a ska stepping on a woman's dress and ripping it be a traumatic event? Could it be traumatic enough to cause said woman to snap and find her powers? Now, I won't lie to you. I had to read about Vin using her luck two to three times before it finally hit me. I think it was halfway into chapter one when I finally went, Oh my god, Vin is a mixed race that somehow survived and has this magical power. On top of that, she has this amazing gut feeling and is able to tell when something is off. Maybe this is part of her powers or maybe this is just something she learned from being on the streets and growing up a thief. But she doesn't have any idea about the full capacity of her powers until Kelsier had her use her powers in the streets that night. That night, she learned many other things. But Kelsier gave her a lesson in particular. He said, Every action we take has consequences, Vin. I found that in both Alamancy and life. The person who can best judge the consequences of their actions will be the most successful. I, for one, find the phrasing of this beautiful and thoughtful and above all else dripping with the truth. Shortly after this lesson, she learns to push and in essence, fly. This is where she finds, as she says, her true freedom. And that feeling I totally get. No, I may not be able to fly, but when I'm on an empty road and can legally go 70, 75, maybe 80 miles per hour with the windows down and my hair moving through the wind, I find my own kind of freedom. So Vin didn't just learn lessons from Cal. Her brother also taught her many, many lessons, and at first glance, they seem sort of well-intended. They seem to be lessons that could be needed in order to survive while living on the streets, but many of them paint the world as this very traitorous, terrible place. For example, chapter 16, when she says, My brother said that anyone would betray you if they had the right chance and a good enough motive. However, I think Sazed said it best when he told her that even if such a thing were true, I would not want to live believing it. I think this just goes to show that, yes, there is evil and bad in the world, and it's something to look out for, but you can't go around thinking everything is bad, or else life just isn't worth living. And I think it's exactly what Kel thinks when he's building his crew. He turned down having some guy named Rudy as a smoker, even though he's a good smoker, because he isn't a good man. And this speaks to how his crew can laugh and, and trust each other. When the other crews Vin is used to is the exact opposite. 
Even when she had thought she could maybe kind of trust people, they betrayed her. Like when her brother left her and when Ulif turned her in, which was a huge disappointment because for some reason I really, really liked him. For a quick second, I thought they might develop some sort of love thing. And when he turned her in, I was so upset at him. But let's talk about other relationships that I thought Vin might get mixed up in. So first off, I kind of felt like Kel and Vin would have a thing for each other, but he kept on calling her child and that gave me this like creepy vibe and I really don't think that's where they were going with it at all. I think he just cares for his crew and especially for her because she is a child in his eyes and maybe because of the life she has lived up until this point, maybe it's because she has dark hair like his wife. So maybe he sees her as the child they could have had. I don't know. She's quite jaded about the world. But then she meets Elin at the ball. And he's not what she expected from a noble. And I would bet that she is not what he expected either. When they were interacting, I sometimes feel like I'm thrown into one of my young adult dystopian novels. And that these two are going to fall in love and she'll convince him to fight for the rebels and take down the the ruler and honestly I wouldn't be upset if that does happen I do hope there's a bit bit more to that story though and maybe even a twist and turn that I don't see coming what I am not loving are all these people saying how he is using her I mean she already has this incredibly jaded not trusting view of the world so it would make sense that she would see through Elin if he was or is just playing games or using her to piss, you know, his dad off. But everyone thinks she's all caught up with him and keeps warning her that she's only of interest because he can use her. Do they know what this is doing to her self-esteem? I mean, I know they're meaning well and just trying to protect her, but damn. Isn't it possible that Elin likes her because she is so, so different? She doesn't like anyone else at court. Isn't that alone reason enough to want to be near her? Can't that be enough? I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to jump around a bit and talk about Ben. This girl, she's pretty badass. She is strong, has fairly good survival skills, and knows when to speak up versus when to blend into the shadows. Well, maybe she's learning about speaking up. Anyway, her brother taught her most of that by beating the crap out of her, but she has learned it well. When she is with Kel, Vin seems more comfortable. At times, she, uh even challenges him and obviously wants to learn more and more and more from him. So when she follows him out one night and she finds out where he's headed, well, I'm not surprised that she's going with him. I also was not surprised to read the sequence of events that happened. I am a bit puzzled about why they were so set on knowing who her father was. Did anyone else key into that? They seemed to really want that information and need her alive, at least until they got it. I'm glad Vin survived and even gladder 
is gladder a word? That Kel took this event to heart a bit. Alright, so there's one other thing that I have to bring up. What the fuck is Lord Renault? I understand the original or real one was killed. And that this imposter, for lack of a better term, is just like the real one. And that he also can't get near an Inquisitor. So what is he? Breeze seems to know. And he makes it sound like others don't really want to know. But I want to know. I want in on the secret too. So, I know I didn't hit on everything, but when do I ever hit on it all in a book? Come back next week for the rest of this book, and don't forget to tell me your thoughts or future book recs at busybitchpodcast at gmail.com. That's busybitch without the I, podcast at gmail.com, or Instagram at busybitchpod. Bye for now. and podcast image was created, recorded, and edited by me, Tiffany. Music is Voxel Revolution by Kevin McLeod.